It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to episode 134 of the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Matt Lombardo, and in for the next couple of weeks, our good pal Steve Politti sitting in for Ryan Dunleavy. Wow. Steve, thanks for joining us today. What an honor to be on the Talk is Cheap podcast. I've waited my entire career for this moment. It has finally come. I'm excited for you to be here. I'm excited <laughs> to dive into what we saw out of another disappointing Giants loss last weekend at the Dallas Cowboys, 20-13, to 13, but it really never was that close. We'll look ahead to the Houston Texans game this coming Sunday afternoon as the Giants try to avoid the calamity that would be an 0-3 start. But before we get into all of that, just a little bit of housekeeping for you. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, find us on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spree. YouTube, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And please leave us a five-star review. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. It helps us grow the show. Uh, and you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. Steve is at Steve Politti. Uh, Steve, you joined us on the road last week. We were at the, uh, you know, behemoth that is Jerry World yes, at and Stadium. And we saw the Giants fall into familiar territory, 0-2 for the second year in a row. And it seems like there are far more questions after week two than there were after the loss week one to the Jaguars. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with you on that, too. And, and you know, y- you thought you saw some flashes maybe from the offense in, in, in week one. You had, you had the big play from Barkley. You had Od- Odell Beckham getting the ball a bunch of times. Uh, they didn't score. But still, you know, you could watch that game against a good defense and say, all right, if they get their offensive line uh, – offensive line problems straight, well, they should go into Dallas and they should be able to score points. Instead, it was the exact opposite. The offensive line somehow was even worse. And it was more than just Eric Flowers. It was just a, a total overall failure. Uh, and, you know, the Barkley had had 14 catches, but it was held for, held under held 80 yards and 14 catches, which is hard to do. Uh, Beckham, we didn't get the ball. Eli was sacked six times. It was, it was really even a bigger mess than, than week one and leaves you with a lot of questions about, you know, the direction of this overall. Oh, no doubt about it. And you just look leading up to last week and Landon Collins said over and over again, our mission is to stop Ezekiel Elliott. If you look at Ezekiel Elliott's stat line, you'll be able to tell who won the game. And this is one of the few the bright spots for the Giants last week. That's why I think we start here. Right. Uh, you look at the numbers, 17 carries, 78 rushing yards, and a touchdown. I, I think the Giants would have taken that coming into the game. Dak Prescott, 16 of 25, 160 yards passing mm-hmm. with a touchdown, a QB rating of 77.9. Uh, the pass rush obviously wasn't there. It, it kind of took a step back from week one, as the rest of the team did, but still no Olivier Vernon. Connor Barwin was limited last week, didn't really play that well during the game. But you 
said it, Steve, the issues were on offense. They're not able to push the ball downfield. And it's great to see uh, Odell Beckham Jr. get 11 catches in week one against Wars 111 yards. But when you look at week two, Eli Manning, 33 of 34, 279. He's sat six times. He's hit eight times. QB rating of 34.1. He's 27th in the league in yards per passing attempt. Right, Steve, right. if they can't push the ball downfield, that takes away the big playability of Odell Beckham Jr. And it allows the safeties to continue to creep up towards the line of scrimmage and take away the running game. And if you can't get either one of those aspects going, it's tough to move the ball in the NFL. Yeah, there's no question. And, you know, I, I want and this is going to be the recurring theme the entire season. You know, certainly the the majority of the problems here is that Eli Manning does not have time to throw. And when you're watching highlights of those six sacks, I mean, it is almost comical how easy it is for the Cowboys. I mean, this is not some physical. These are not some physical breakdowns. These are just mental mistakes. These guys are just running in completely unblocked in a lot of cases. Uh, that said, you know, I wonder just. Is is Eli Manning settling too quickly for checkdowns? Does he have yes. does he have it? Does he have enough left that he can that he can look down the field? That he's willing to take that hit? That he's you know that he's that he, that he can get Beckham. And I know Beckham was open on a couple of plays. Again, one or two throws, just like the week one uh, when he was open in the end zone. One or two throws changes the game here. Uh, so. You know, that's what sticks with me now. I mean, if, if this is going to be it and I don't see any quick fixes, I think the, now you lose your starting center and you have to do put in, you know, John Greco in, in, in his place. I mean, the, the line is not going to magically improve. Yeah, there's, they can play better, but this is going to be an issue all year. Is Eli going to be able to overcome it? Yeah, no, I agree. And there were two or three plays where Odell Beckham Jr. was streaking wide open down the field, one in the end zone where he was practically doing dump, uh, jumping jacks. <laughs> and oh, Eli yeah. Manning dumped it off to Saquon Barkley yeah. in the flat. And yeah, you know me, I'm a guy who watched every one of Saquon Barkley's snaps at Penn State. And there were a lot of times where they featured him in the offense on wheel routes, on swing patterns that were designed to get him the ball in space. I sat next to you at AT&T Stadium on Sunday night, Steve. And I think I said to you two or three times, these don't look like designed out patterns. These look no. like Saquon Barkley is only there that in the last second before taking contact, Eli Manning dumps it off to him in the flat. Yeah. And the problem is the ball took forever to get there. So when Barkley finally got the ball in his hands, you might as well have been handing it off to him because the defender was right there and waiting to make the hit just as he would in, in the run game. I, I don't know if they don't know what they have in Barkley. I don't know if they just use him as that design dump off for Eli Manning and that becomes his preferred route because he's not going through the progression downfield, but they need to do a better job of getting Barkley the ball in space. They need to do a better job of getting the ball in Odell Beckham Jr.'s hands, period. He went about a quarter and a half without a target the other night, and Evan Ingram didn't show up on the stat sheet until the fourth quarter, and the Cowboys already called off the dogs. I don't know about you, but I'm amazed with the amount of talent at the skill positions that this team can't score points and on Sunday night couldn't move the ball down the field. The the I, the entirety of that offense felt like they were trying they were trying we'll just throw it to Barkley and maybe he'll m make eight guys miss like he did in the Rose Bowl you know <laughs> I think they were right. counting on this is that was the entire strategy it felt like in a lot of the game I mean uh, and he's good but he's not that good you know there's only so much a running back can do when you know when you're getting hit behind the line of scrimmage and every time you touch the ball uh, and I, you know that I think that's a, that's that's become a major problem for them obviously.
Yep. Now, how do you fix it? Because as you pointed out, John Greco gets the start at center. John Jalapio had been their best and most productive offensive lineman. He's lost for the season with a broken ankle and broken leg. So you're going to have to go to Greco or maybe eventually Spencer Foley, uh, Foley rather, if, if Greco falters. But uh, Steve, outside of making wholesale changes and moving Greco to guard and Foley to center and sitting Patrick Omame and hoping you get more out of Eric Flowers and hoping you get more out of the $35 million man Nate Solder, I, I don't know how you fix this offensive line. I don't know what you do when you allow eight quarterback hits, eight quarterback hits and six sacks against the Cowboys last week. Yeah, that that is that is a great question. Um, and you, you're absolutely right. You know, just how much of it is just that they're just going to have to count on these guys to play better. I mean, again, you, you, you mentioned the salary from Nate Soldier, but I mean, Soldier, he, he can't be he can't be as bad as he was in that game. He just can't. I mean, getting turned around, getting beat physically, uh, coming off on you know, blocking the wrong guy in one play. It's just, you know, for the amount of money they invested in him uh it's just you get through one week where, where eric flowers is the problem now now your left tackle is the problem now you're, you're shift again you everyone says well it just takes time for the line to gel all right well now you're shifting it all around already so the, again you're going to be in the same position where you got guys in new roles and unaccustomed to you know what they're doing it, it, it really is a bad situation and of course, you're facing a, you're facing another Houston team that's desperate with, as you mentioned, you know, a great pass rush, and and Jadavian Clowney is going to be back for this game, so it's going to be uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens down there in Houston. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And before we continue to turn the page to Houston altogether, uh, the fact that they can't move the football, in my opinion, is even a bigger issue than not scoring points. You look at last week; they didn't move the ball past midfield. They didn't break the plane of the 50-yard line until 523 remaining in the third quarter. Uh, Steve, they weren't close in this game. They put together the late-scoring drive when Evan Ingham caught the touchdown late, but that was after... Uh, the Cowboys had called off the dogs. So they they called off the blitzing at that point, and it was 132 remaining when Evan Ingram caught the ball in the end zone. Um, to me, the fact that they just can't move the ball downfield is the biggest concern because it's one thing to struggle against an offense scoring points against the best defense in the league, which is the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's a whole other beast to go up against Dallas and be just outmatched up front with the the stunts and the 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 blitz patterns and all of these things, and not be able to move the football and I don't think it gets any easier this week against Clowney Watt and the rest of the uh the Texans front seven yeah I I'm just surprised it seems like they just can't get they can't get a five-yard gain you know what I'm talking about right it's, it's very like it's one it's one yard two yard minus seven yards you know they're just constantly just like the simple four-yard run for Barkley it seems like it's impossible he's always getting hit behind the line uh and you know and, and the problems with Beckham you know when you when you saw what they Dallas did it seems like a pretty good blueprint for taking him out just dropping the two safeties back taking away the deep stuff and counting on the fact that you know you're gonna have a pass rush or in Eli's face before he can find him. I mean, that that to me is another scary aspect of it. Uh, uh, so, you know, Dallas decided they were not going to let Odell Beckham beat beat them, uh, and he didn't, you know? So, right. uh, you know, now, now all right, well, are they going to, is there going to be an opportunity? You just keep on thinking that, all right, he's too good not to have that breakout game. He's healthy. He looks great. You know, prime of his career, all that stuff, you know, that it's going to have to happen eventually. Uh, but he's only scored. I look back on it, you know, seven of his last nine games, he has not been in the end zone. I mean, this is not, this is not a new trend. This is something that something that's been going on for, you know, dating back to the playoff game in green Bay. Uh, you know, is this the week that something changes? I, it kind of has to be. 
Yeah, Aaron Colvin's a pretty good corner, but I think that the bigger problem for the Giants, and, and not to continue to beat the same dead horse that we've been talking about all offseason, all through the first two weeks, it, it's the pass rush. It's what do you do about Jadeveon Clowney? What do you do about uh, J.J. Watt? How do you stop D.J. Reader, their nose tackle, who had two sacks last week against the Tennessee Titans? You're going to have to keep Eli Manning upright. You're going to have to move him in the pocket in some way to buy him some time to hit Odell Beckham deep because I think that the the way that you move the football more effectively is you get the ball in your playmaker's hands in open space and let them get yards after the catch. That's what I think this comes down to. And what I think is, is one of the things that jumped out at me on the tape, and we kind of touched on it a little bit, Steve, in that Cowboy game, it wasn't like the first game of the season when Eli took some shots downfield and maybe Beckham right. got bumped about five yards from the top of the route. Maybe Eli overthrew him. Maybe Eli was off target, but he pulled the trigger and he took the shot. They didn't take the shot against the Cowboys. And I don't know against one of the better pass rushers in the league coming up. I don't know how you, it gets easier for Eli to do that this Sunday. Yeah, I mean, it gets easier if you can, if you can establish the run, if you can, you know, take some pressure off it that way. I mean, certainly that would be easier. But again, again, we talk about this; like they're not blocking well on any facet, so uh, that makes a bigger that makes it a bigger issue. Uh, you know, this is the kind of we talk. This is the kind of game we're just waiting for. Is Eli going to throw this team on his back in a game? You know, is he going to yeah. overcome some of these problems? And, you know, I, I, he's taking some heat now, some criticism. Uh, a, a former Jet, <laughs> Damian Woody, uh, called him toast over the way. I mean, is any of this going to light a fire under him? Is there, some, is there another gear that he can find? Uh, you know, he you know he, he hasn't really had a, you know, signature. He had one, he had four year yards against the Eagles uh, last late last season that everybody brings up. But, you know, it's been a while since we have seen is like a real signature Eli Manning game. This this is the kind of this is the kind of opportunity for him to save their season. Right. And it's kind of scary when you think about all the talent that's around them. When you think about having Beckham, Barkley, Ingram, and Sterling Shepard, who's kind of been the invisible man through the first two games. He had the drop late against the Jacksonville Jaguars. But last week, Sterling Shepard, three catches for 24 yards, only targeted five times. Evan Ingram caught all seven targets for 67 yards. But I, I think that through much of the first quarter and into the second quarter, Ingram wasn't even targeted. So to me, Eli Manning has to get rid of the football quicker. You need to find ways, whether it's shortening the routes and just getting the ball, getting the the ball out to these guys over the middle of the field, short intermediate stuff, not necessarily short of the sticks like we saw over and over and over again, but a 10 or a 12 yard out pattern that kind of neuters the pass rush. Because if you're running a go route with Odell Beckham and you're running a crossing pattern with Sterling Shepard on the other side, this thing takes some time to develop. And I think the only way that you take the teeth out of a rush is to get rid of it quicker and, and not necessarily as dump offs, but as hot routes and things like that to kind of get the play moving quicker uh, down the field and even, you know, laterally away from the quarterback. Yeah, this is what I'll say. And it's funny. I, I wrote a column criticizing Eli after that game. I thought he had to be better. It wasn't good enough. Uh, and immediately on Twitter, you just get killed by Giants fans. Anytime you do this, like, oh, it's not Eli. Look at this line. And I get it. But, you know, we leave we leave the game. We leave Jerry. World, we go back to our courtyard and you put on ESPN and you're watching these highlights and you're like, well, all right, here, here are five examples of a quarterback under tremendous pressure 
making the game changing play. I mean, right. there, there's not like there's not clean like there's operating with a clean pocket is just not how it works in the NFL. I mean, you're always under some kind of pressure, and and a lot of the times when you're under that pressure, it's the best opportunity to make a play because someone's going to be open. So it, it's just you know again without without piling on Eli, I understand that you know that a lot of fans are sensitive. They love the guy, delivered two touchdowns, two two Super Bowls. I'm sorry, they think that he's you know he's an untouchable figure, but he's just got to be better. No, I, I totally agree. And I think the play calling has to be better. I don't think that there's any analytics site in the world or any analytics advice in the world either that would say not to go for it on fourth and one from the 50 yard line, yeah, but then would come back one. Yeah. fourth and one from your own 38 and go for it there. Listen, I think that Pat Shermer has done a, a pretty nice job of, of restoring the culture around Quest Diagnostics. I think that the players, even at 0-2, seem reasonably engaged and bought into this week and really think that uh, the best days are ahead of them this season if they can just get the job done on Sunday. But in terms of some of the decisions that he's made in-game, uh, taking the timeout rather than accepting the delay of game at the start of the second half against Jacksonville, uh, the fourth down instances that we talked about against the Cowboys, uh, there are just growing pains that I think that Shermer is going through that they just aren't able to overcome right now. Yeah, and I, and I think part of that, like, like again, I thought I thought the offense in week one was a little bit more imaginative and gave you gave you some hope. All right, well, this is you know this is not this is not Ben McAdoo too. You know, this is going right. to be something. We're going to try different personnel. We're going to move all the Beckham over the field, all over the field. They just didn't score. Okay, and then, and then you saw the one big play from Barkley. You're like, all right, well, they this this is going to be a better situation. I didn't feel that way against uh, in the Dallas game. I, I didn't see that same amount of imagination. I saw falling back into a lot of, a lot of the same habits from last season, um, which which concerned me from the play calling standpoint and and really. The lack of adjustments. I mean, uh, you know, where, where, okay, your offensive line's getting destroyed. All right, well, how are you going to answer that? How are you, you going to come up with what, what's your solution in game? I didn't see a lot of. Well, uh, they made a adjustment. solution during the week. And I know yes, that the offensive did. line is getting killed this week, and rightfully so. And we, we've even touched on that on the pod. But they made a change. They released Shane Smith, the fullback, brought in uh, the, uh, Elijah Penny. Uh, a fullback who was brought in off the street off the Arizona Cardinals practice squad. He's now in the building. Um, he's known as, as a pretty decent blocking fullback, but Shane Smith was not great the other night either. He missed two blitz assignments and blitz pickup resulted right. in two sacks of Eli Manning. Not great. Um, it's not just the line. You need to get better blocking mm -hmm. from your running backs. You need to get better blocking from your tight ends. Right. And it doesn't really help that Evan Ingram is a pedestrian or worse pass protector. He's not I a good worse blocker. Down he's not a good blocker. <laughs> right. So, you, so, now, so, so now you need to run your scheme with Elijah Penny in the backfield. You need Rhett Allison as an inline blocker on one side, and you help that Nate Solder figures it out on his side and wins his battle. That's the only way this gets fixed is if you get better blocking all around, not just from the offensive line. Yeah, this, that was an interesting. I wonder if that was a, a that that transaction transaction of waving Shane Smith was sort of also like, hey, we're not going to take this because I, I mean Shane, Smith was on the field. I think it can't be more than a half dozen snaps, and he gives up right. two sacks. I mean, I don't know if that's a message cut. We've we've seen a lot of like Gettleman, uh, Dave Gettleman and Shermer clearly are not you know going to be they're, they're going to change that roster up. We we've learned that pretty quickly that they're not going to be afraid to make moves. Uh, I don't know if that was the kind of thing to to open some eyes around that locker room or not. But hey, 
you know, why not? <laughs> if you, yeah. If it's, if it's not working, you got to figure out how to fix it. And this kind of has the feel, especially with that move. And then you bring in uh, Stacy Coley off the Minnesota Vikings. He uh, dropped a pass against the Packers and he's done a little bit of punt and kick returning in his career, but he was let go after Sunday. The Giants claimed him off waivers. This kind of has the feeling, Steve, and let me know if you agree with this from your years of being around this franchise. This right now feels like a duck on the water that looks all calm, cool, and collected up top, but the feet are churning a thousand miles an hour underneath. <laughs> and, and you're kind of spinning your wheels trying to figure this out because in the NFL, an 0-3 start is is not where you want to be. You see two positions potentially get turned over this week. After you cut Hunter Sharp as your kick returner and brought in Kalen Clay before the season even started, it, it just feels like they're trying to figure the bottom of this roster out at, at a point in time where you need these guys to produce. You need your kick and punt returners to make plays to try and spark the offense. You need your fullback to be a reliable blocker because the offensive line is suboptimal right now. And that just feels like a really dangerous place to be, breaking in a new head coach in the middle of an 0-2 start. You got to give me a minute. I'm, I'm writing down duck on the water so I can use that in a future column. That is that is some good stuff right there, dude. I mean, I like that is a good <laughs> that is a good little little description for this franchise. Uh, I, I totally agree. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And uh, I will say this, though, and then having been around that team during some of the other O and twos, uh, I, I think the fact that Shermer is there, he, he, he you know, he was a pretty calming presence at the press conference. You know, we ask him a bunch of questions about, you know, stuff that happens last year. And he's got the same answer every time. Like, look, I wasn't here. Yep, uh, I agree. I do sense, I do sense a different vibe from last year because last year, you know, they they were coming off eleven and five. So you're when you're zero and two, you think, well, this is you know, like this is just a bump on the road. And before you know, it, they're zero and five, and the wheels fall off. Uh, so certainly, it's it's not like that. But uh, I think people are. I think you know, it, it, being in the locker room on Wednesday, I I got the sense that they, you know, they weren't they weren't stunned. They weren't defeated. Uh, uh, that. They they do genuinely genuinely believe that they're better than Owen two, and I think most you know if you look at anything, look at the roster, look at the other Owen two teams, you got to think they're better than every Owen two team except the one maybe they're playing at this point. So uh, I, I get the sense that they're that they, they feel like they're going to be okay, but I mean the big but is oh and three. Then I think that then then you're then you're looking at the kind of crisis again that that could that could really uh, set a fire in that locker room. Yep. No, I agree, especially because this locker room was so quick to turn on the previous regime. I, I agree that Pat Shermer is the type of guy that I think can ride that out, and and he's not going to be a guy who throws his players under the bus publicly. We found that out this week over yep. and over and over again. And I think it's a great quality in a head coach, especially in a market like this. Uh, but but the players have to respond to that and pull up their end, and I haven't seen them do that through the first two weeks. Now yep. well, let's. Really Really dive into the preview of Sunday, Steve, and we've kind of viewed uh, this preview podcast as kind of the audio companion to my key matchups that run every Thursday. So I'm going to quickly run through some of these with you, and you just tell me who you think has the edge. First okay. off, it's J.J. Watt against Eric Flowers. Flowers last year, six and a half sacks allowed, two sacks already this year. I thought he played a little bit better in the second half of the Cowboy game till he gave up a sack late. And now he has two sacks surrendered on the season. J.J. Watt finally fully healthy, starting to give you a glimpse of what he was during his prime. Who do you have in this matchup? J.J. Yeah. Watt, Zerk Flowers. 
that that feel that feels like a little bit of a mismatch. <laughs> yeah. I will say this though: Watt does not, unless I'm wrong, Watt does not have a sack yet this year. He's not. Nope. All right. But uh, but still, I mean, you've got it. You've got a favor. You've got a favor, JJ Watt. He could he could uh, he could out the run around Eric Flowers as he's raising uh, ten million dollars for for flood relief as well. So I'm going to go Houston on that one. Yeah, I am as well. I think. While he hasn't gotten on the statute yet, he had a couple of hurries last week, and he's a guy that went fully healthy. He's just so explosive off the line of scrimmage, so athletic. He's uh, He wreaks havoc in the backfield, and I think that Flowers is going to have his hands cut out for him whenever he lines up against him. Uh, John Greco, we touched on him briefly, starting for the first time this season in for John Jalapio. I like the fact that he's been in the building, in the meeting rooms, mm-hmm. on the practice field with these guys all year, but... It takes time along the offensive line, and continuity is critical, not just among the five linemen, but between the quarterback and the center. Tough draw for him this week, DJ Reader. He has two sacks already this year. I give the edge to Reader in this one. Not that I don't think Greco has the chance to eventually get it together. It's just a tough draw on the road against that caliber of a player trying to get everything straight. Uh, I like Reader against Greco here. What do you think? Yeah, I have to agree with you on that. And then you, you have to also be concerned about just just the the center quarterback exchange. I mean that that's that, that that is something that that's something that takes time. I mean, uh, you know, the, those little five yard penalties, the risk of a fumble. Uh, you know, there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot when you switch a center, and 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 uh, it's certainly not doesn't help when you've got a guy uh, like that staring across at you in, in your first game. Yep. And then uh, moving on to left tackle, Nate, Nate Solder. <laughs> we've talked about him a little bit, and I really don't think this was what the Giants envisioned they were getting when they signed him back in March. Jadeveon Clowney, uh, one of the more dynamic outside linebackers in the league. He's been limited this week with a back injury. So who knows if he plays or not, but if healthy, he's the guy who had nine and a half sacks last year. I don't love Solder here. I, I think there's a yeah. chance that he could become a little bit of a turnstile when, when Clowney is coming off that edge. Yeah. And you have, you have to wonder, is Clowney fully healthy? I mean, it looks like he, it looks like he is, but even, even Clowney on half a leg, I think the way Nate Soldier played in that last game, uh, it, it's not an encouraging situation for, for, for the Giants. And now you look at that. All right. So we just gave, we gave the edge pretty clearly at, uh, you know, like both sides and the center of the Giants offensive line. I mean, that that's just what they're up against. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be a challenge. And then uh, Odell Beckham Jr., we've talked about him a lot, how valuable it is to the Giants to get him going. It's one thing uh, to target him 11 times against Jacksonville. It's a whole other thing to connect on that game-changing play. Aaron Colvin is an above-average cornerback, but this is a game where I think Odell Beckham Jr. has to break out if the Giants are going to have a chance to win. So, Steve, the the $95 million question is, (laughs) is this the week that Odell Beckham Jr. breaks out? Yes, I think it is, and I and I they just got to get back to putting him in different pos- positions on the field, move him in the slot again, uh, take some deep shots. As you mentioned, the fact they didn't do that at all against Dallas, I, it's just it's just inevitable that he's gonna have he's gonna have a big game. And uh, I'd like to see them trying to get the ball in you know some shorter plays too. Just get him involved. You know, it it doesn't matter how it is, how it is. If you're gonna pet, if you're gonna dump the ball off 14 times to Barkley, I, I get that it's a different situation, but throw some short passes to Beckham. Throw some. Yep. Sh- Long pad, get whatever it takes to get the ball in his hands, and I think they will this week. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and Pat Shermer talked about it on Thursday afternoon that they need to get him involved early and they need to get him involved often. He's, mm-hmm. he's their most dynamic playmaker. They need to get the ball in his hands. I, I'm with you. I think that Beckham breaks out this game. I think you see him above 130, maybe a touchdown for the first time in over a year. Uh, but like I said, this is another tough matchup. Eli Manning against the passing defense. 
for the Houston Texans. Manning right now, 69.1% completion percentage, but only 6.2 yards per attempt. 31st in the league, but ahead of only Dallas Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott. While I like the chances of Odell Beckham Jr. breaking out, I think that's more from a yards after the catch standpoint. I don't expect a big game from Eli Manning, and I don't think that the questions are going to stop anytime soon about whether or not he can turn his season around. Yeah, and you got to remember, this is not, and I'm going to look it up really quick, this is not a uh, just this year with that with that low yards per, per pass thing. I mean, he, he's had he's had that now. I mean, let's look really quick. Uh, it, all right, so yards per attempt this year is actually a, a, above last year. It was It's 5.9 yards per attempt for this year. Yes, last year was 5.7. The year before was 6.4. I mean, it, it you know. This has been a dink and dunk kind of thing for Eli for 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 a while now, and uh, I, I th- th- that's a reason I think that this offense hasn't scored thirty points since you know I had hair essentially. <laughs> so, I mean, I, that's a I, long time ago, my man. I've, I've known you for a, a while time. and you've been bald the whole time. <laughs> exactly. So. I, I'm going to catch up with you soon enough, but man, don't, don't be drafting the don't put it there. Don't be drafting Eli for your or picking up Eli off waivers for your fantasy team this week. I don't think it's going to happen either. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And there's one thing to dink and dunk. I think that if the Pat Shermer offense uh, works to its full potential, if you watch what Minnesota did involving the running backs, both as runners and receivers, moving the ball on on six, seven-yard out patterns to create second and short, third and short opportunities, and then ultimately first and ten and keep the chains moving, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. But hold the ball in the backfield because you're going through your progressions deep and then dumping it off to Barkley in the flat with a defender right on him at that point. It's not just not an efficient way to do business, and I don't think that's how you move the ball down the field in this league. Nope, totally agree. How, and uh, you just, I, what I want to see, I, I mean, I, I like to see the big play, and you know, they talk about hitting the home runs, but you know, let's yeah, let's see a couple of sustained drives too, because I, I, until garbage time against Dallas, they did nothing. And the dangerous thing about this Texans offense, Steve, is they don't necessarily need those 13, 14, 18 play drives that take up six, seven, eight minutes of game time. Deshaun Watson is such a mobile quarterback. He's a threat to run the ball. But even more than that, he he makes plays off script. He extends plays with his legs and and he just loves to chuck the ball deep. I don't know if there's a quarterback in the league who likes to throw more deep down the field than uh, Deshaun Watson. Maybe Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City with Tyreek Hill. But you look at the connection that DeAndre Hopkins, the wide receiver, has with with Watson right now, and, and it's kind of off the charts. And you're looking at Janoris Jenkins potentially traveling with uh, Hopkins this week, one of the game's premier cornerbacks against one of the premier wide receivers in the NFL. I kind of like Jenkins here, um, but I, I, I wouldn't doubt that Hopkins has a 60-yard pass play that changes the tide of the game. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I like Jenkins here after what I saw against Tavon Austin in Dallas, uh, and I get it. He bounced back, and that was one it was one bad play. It happens, but still, uh, that, you know, right there, you, you spot Dallas seven points right in. The Giants are playing from behind. Uh, I will say this, and this is interesting, and uh, as bad as the Giants are offensive line has been the Houston offensive line might be worse, which is, I mean, I mean, incredible. <laughs> Deshaun Watson is getting pressured on 48% of his dropbacks this year, which is that's so, unreal. I mean, it, there'll be an opportunity. And I think the league average is 27%. So there's going to be an opportunity for uh, a pass rush. Again, Giants pass rush at, at one sack could be an opportunity for, for them to, you know, to get their hands on uh, Deshaun Watson and, may, and maybe make, you know, maybe make a couple of force some turnovers for a change. That, that would be one way that they're going to get out of Houston with a win. Yeah, Hopkins isn't just a big threat guy. He's also a volume guy. Through two weeks, 14 catches, 188 yards, and a touchdown. 14.2 yards per catch. 
I don't think the Giants would like to see that on the stat sheet on Sunday. No, I would because I've got them on my fantasy team. You need to get yourself Foster to get there, Watson rather, to get those double points. Yeah, right. Exactly. I'll, and, I'll, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Will Fuller against Pick Your Poison, Dante Dion slash BW Webb, whoever you'd like to throw out there at cornerback. Either way, I think Fuller has a monster game. He has the speed to take the cover off of defense. He's a big play deep down the field threat, and he can make game changing touchdown catches. I, I, I take Will Fuller here. Yeah, and he is the deep threat that that Houston's needing, right? I mean, we're talking about we're talking about the, you know, the Giants needing to get the ball downfield, get make some big plays. You know, Fuller's uh, return to that offense, I think, will make a big difference. And I, I don't I don't think there's anybody really who thinks that even at 0 2 that Houston's not going to be there at the end competing for that AFC South the title. So this is a game you would think that they at home feel like they have to win. See, here's the problem, Steve. You look at these two offenses, and I think they're very similar. I think that you could go man for man uh, with the giant skill position players up against the skill position players of the Houston Texans. I think Watson is the edge over Eli Manning at quarterback, but I think you look at the receivers with Watson and Fuller against Beckham and Shepard. You look at Saquon Barkley, I think you give him a slight edge over Lamar Miller, even though they have the number one rushing offense in the league right now. Wow. And these are, these are two of the more dynamic, high-powered offenses in the game. But the Giants just can't seem to get it into gear, and that's where I think it's a real struggle for the Giants on Sunday afternoon. I think we all expect the Texans to put up a big number. I think that they have the firepower to light up the scoreboard. I just don't think the Giants right now can match them score for score based on what we've seen the first two weeks. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's and it's a shame. The Giants are going to look back on those first two games and say, you know, wow, we are this defense, which has its flaws too. We haven't seen them exposed yet, but this defense only gave up 20 points in the first two games. And we were, you know, we were 0-2. It's really, I mean, that, yeah. that's going to come back when 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 this, if they, if they are sitting there in December and it's another, you know, another clear, they're not, they're not going to the playoffs and, you know, maybe, maybe they're whatever, they're, they're six and seven and they're scraping to finally try to get back to the postseason. You're going to look in those first two weeks and go, I, you know, this is the, the, these were two games that this this team could have stolen, could have won, and if they had done anything offensively. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, you're just expecting you, you would expect that Houston would have a breakout game, and it, it would be it would be the Giants' luck if finally they score, they get they get 28, they get 30 points, and they lose 35-28. You know, after the defense played so well the first two weeks. Yeah, no, I agree, and I think that if you look at everything about this season so far, and we're only two games into it, but it can get late in a real hurry in the NFL. 0-3, uh, we know the stat about teams that are 0-2, only 10% of those teams end up making the playoffs. Uh, I believe it might only be 10 since the 2009 season that have made yeah. the playoffs after starting 0-2. But I think what surprised me the most about this Giants team, Steve, is the fact that they haven't been able to score points. I mean, I think we all knew the offensive line was going to be a struggle. I thought that Nate Solder and Will Hernandez would solidify the left side a little bit better better than they've been able to. I thought the secondary was going to be a little bit of a concern, but Janoris Jenkins and, and before Eli Apple got hurt, I thought Eli Apple was off to a really great he start was, to the absolutely. year and played really yeah. well. But what's most surprising to me is the fact that they just can't put points on the board with all of that talent around Eli Manning. And if it doesn't happen on Sunday – then I don't know when it happens and I don't know yeah. how you make it happen because for all the talk about the front seven, you can throw the ball a little bit on the Houston defense. 
Right. And remember, this is and a lot of people wrote off the entire the final 11 games of last season because of all the injuries. And I, and I get it. The offense did not have they were dragging people off the street to play receiver. Uh, I mean, it got bad pretty quickly there. But that offense was mostly intact for the first five games and it was still pretty bad. Yep. Uh, this is not this is not a new you know, I, I know we all we all think it should be better. But this is not like a new trend. This is not something that happened this year that should be a surprise to us. This offense has been bad for a while. Uh, you know, adding Saquon Barkley has not changed that. Reshuffling the offensive line has not changed that. A healthy Odell Beckham has not changed that. It it and if it doesn't change in a couple of weeks, I mean, I mean, I, this week and next week, and I mean, it's it's going to get frustrating very quickly again for this team. Yep. No, I agree. Uh, what's the pick for Sunday? Uh, I picked Houston. I can't remember my score, but I think it'll be something like uh, I think it's going to be a pretty solid 27-17 victory for, uh, for for the Texans. What about you? Yeah, I, I have Houston winning as well. I think that this thing could get relatively ugly just because I, I don't I don't have a lot of faith that the offense is going to be able to effectively move the ball down the field and be much better than they have been the last two weeks. Uh, I actually have uh, in our picks post that goes live on Friday morning. I have the Texans winning 28 to 16. So yeah, yeah. I, I think this is a, a long flight home for the Giants, and I don't know that we're going to find many answers to the questions that were thrown out there against yeah. the Cowboys. And, and that's that's one of the, the bigger picture concerns that I have, Steve. It's not that they're losing these games against Jacksonville and against the Cowboys. It's that the improvements that you thought that would be made from week to week haven't gotten better. Right. And then, and then you're going to see a lot of it. They're 0 3. You know, it went south incredibly quickly at 0 3 to 0 5 for, with, you know, locker room defections uh, on McAdoo. I mean, the, the, the team turned on him very quickly. I don't think that's going to happen with Pat Shermer. I think he's got a much firmer grasp on this team, at least from what I've seen from as an outsider. He's also a new coach, so they know they can't, you know, the revolt, the revolt's not going to help anyway because the Giants are committed to him. Uh, but then there's going to be major questions about what Dave Gettleman, the Dave Gettleman's thinking here, you know, this yeah. is, and John Maris, you know what? And John Maris thinking. This is not, this is not just the GM decision. This was an ownership decision to go all in on this season and to, and the, 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 the fact that, well, we just add some pieces here. You know, we can turn three and 13 into the playoffs again. Again, it doesn't happen like that a lot in the NFL. I know it happens sometimes. There are odd examples of teams making a, a big jump from bad to good. Uh, usually it takes time. And I, I think that there was some miscalculations uh, about what this team had, what team had coming back, and how good it could be with, with adding a few pieces. And at 0-3, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be some serious questions about, uh, about that strategy, I think. If they don't win on Sunday, it gets ugly real fast. I agree with that. Before we get out of here, Steve, have to welcome Ryan Dunleavy to the, the new Fathers Club. Yes, we do. I joined that club last May. Everybody waiting here in suspense as for why Ryan isn't here. Uh, his wife had a, a baby boy this week. Um, but Ryan, even in his new state of mind, isn't any. 